Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to the works of Stephen King. Need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners of this podcast can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order anytime, and there's always free shipping to the United States. That's Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Circle Opens. I hope everyone is doing well, and I just want to, before we jump into Night Shift, I just wanted to apologize for not having a new episode up last week. Things got kind of crazy with work and online learning for my kids, and the weather was just insane, and I just didn't have the mental capacity (laughs) to sit down and record with so much going on. And I know, especially with this pandemic, mental health is a really big issue right now. And admittedly, I am dealing with some mental health issues. So I really need to learn to focus and prioritize and not overwhelm myself with all of my responsibilities, and then my hobbies. And this podcast is exactly that, a hobby, which I want to continue to enjoy doing and I want to continue doing. So there may be in the future a week or so where I may not release a new episode, just depending on where I am, what I have on my plate, and how much I can handle. So I hope that you all do understand that. And uh, hopefully I will be able to put out uh, warnings if I'm not going to have a new episode that week. Last week was just one of those times where it was just really difficult to even get on social media for more than a few minutes at a time for my own sanity. So with that being said, I do plan on having a review of the end of The Stand, hopefully soon. I have been really thinking over how I felt about the series, good and bad, and I don't want to rush into a review because I find that a few days later after I've recorded and released, I have new thoughts. So I do plan on doing that very soon. So if you guys are waiting for my reviews for the last few episodes of The Stand, I apologize. I will have those uh, hopefully soon. So... With that being said, I would love to jump back into my review of Night Shift. And this week, I am going to talk about The Boogeyman. The Boogeyman was originally published in March of 1973 in Cavalier magazine. In 1982, it was adapted into a movie by Jeff Shiro, and it became a full-length play and was adapted into another 27-minute movie by Gerard Lowe. Interestingly enough, writers Scott Beck and Brian Woods announced that they would be adapting The Boogeyman into a featured film as of September of 2019. It still looks like it's in pre-production, so I guess this is still happening. So I'll be really eager to see how The Boogeyman becomes a featured film. We know how some of Stephen's short stories get butchered (laughs) in an effort to make it an hour and a half to two hours. So I'm going to withhold my thoughts on that until I see exactly what they plan to do with this particular story, because this one is dark. So as usual, I'm going to read a summary of The Boogeyman. Spoilers ahead, you are warned. 
The Boogeyman is about a man named Lester Billings from Waterbury, Connecticut. He's 28, divorced, and a father of three, except all three children are deceased. He is talking to Dr. Harper, a psychiatrist. Lester is very adamant that he's only there to tell Harper his story, to get it off of his chest. He tells Harper, I can't go to a priest because I'm not Catholic. I can't go to a lawyer because I haven't done anything to consult a lawyer about. All I did was kill my kids. One at a time. Killed them all. Just to clarify, he's not telling Harper he killed his kids, directly anyway, but indirectly, yes. He was responsible. There is Denny in 1967, Cheryl in 1971, and Alex that very year. Their deaths were ruled accidental, but Lester knows the truth. They were murdered. Lester is also twitchy about the closet in Dr. Harper's office. He asks to see inside of it, and once he sees that it's essentially empty, Lester relaxes again. He begins by describing his marriage to Rita, who was pregnant with their first child when they got married. It's pretty clear from the get-go that Lester is a very, very crappy husband, and it becomes evident later on that he's a crappy father, too. And then he describes the death of Denny, how the boy was almost two when he would cry when Rita put him to bed. The parenting styles between Rita and Lester are very different. Rita wanted to try and help Denny when he was upset, whether that was giving him a bottle in bed or getting a nightlight. But Lester felt like showing any compassion to a child meant they would grow up to do drugs, get girls pregnant, or become sissies. And that would be the worst thing in the world, wouldn't it? Waking up one day to find one's son is a sissy. Lester admits that after a while, when Denny didn't stop crying, Lester would give the kid a whack. He felt like Denny had to get over being scared of the dark. The summer after Cheryl was born, Denny died. Lester put him to sleep that night when Denny pointed to the closet and said, Boogeyman. Lester asked Rita why she'd teach Denny a word like that. Something she denied doing, but Lester called her a liar. He explains, That was a bad summer for me, you see. The only job I could get was loading Pepsi-Cola trucks in a warehouse, and I was tired all the time. Cheryl would wake up and cry every night, and Rita would pick her up and sniffle. I tell you, sometimes I felt like throwing them both out a window. Christ, kids drive you crazy sometimes. You could kill them. And that morning, Cheryl woke up her parents at 2 a.m. Lester went to the bathroom, and then Rita asked him to check on Denny. He told her she could do it herself, and he went back to bed. That's when Rita began to scream. Lester got up and went in to check on Denny, and he says, The kid was dead on his back, just as white as flour except for where the blood had, had sunk. Back of the legs, the head, the buttocks. His eyes were open. That was the worst, you know? Wide open and glassy like the eyes you see on a moose head some guy put over his mantle. Dead on his back, wearing diapers and rubber pants because he'd been wetting himself again the last couple of weeks. Awful. I loved that kid. At that point, Lester didn't know it was the boogeyman yet, but he did notice the closet door was open. Not much, just a crack, but he knew that he had left it shut after putting Denny to bed. An inquest called it crib death, but Lester thought that was bullshit. They moved Cheryl into Denny's old room a month later. 
Lester did, against Rita's wishes. He had the last word, of course, because a parent couldn't get overprotective. Overprotective parents could cripple a kid. Of course, they got a new mattress because Denny didn't want Cheryl to get any germs. A year later, Cheryl is crying in the crib and screaming about the boogeyman. That scared Lester, and he thought about taking her into his bedroom with Rita for the night. Dr. Harper asks if he did. Lester says no. He says, how could I go to Rita and admit that I was wrong? I had to be strong. She was always such a jellyfish. Look how easy she went to bed with me when we weren't married. The boogeyman got her too, a month later. But something happened before that. I heard a noise in there one night, and then she screamed. I opened the door real quick. The hall light was on, and she was sitting up in the crib crying, and something moved. Back in the shadows by the closet, something slithered. The closet door was open just a crack. Cheryl was screaming about the boogeyman in crawls, which he assumed meant claws. Lester looked in the closet, but he didn't see anything. He found her when she died. She turned all black and had swallowed her tongue. Her eyes, they look like those eyes you see on stuffed animals, all shiny and awful, like live marbles. And they were saying, it got me, Daddy. You let it get me. You killed me. You helped it kill me. The doctor called it a brain convulsion. She had choked on her tongue from the convulsion. Rita had to be kept under sedation. And that night, Lester went home alone and slept on the couch. He had a terrible dream. He explains, I was in a dark room and there was something I couldn't, couldn't quite see in the closet. It made a noise, a squishy noise. It reminded me of a comic book I read when I was a kid. Tales from the Crypt, you remember that? Christ. They had a guy named Graham Ingalls. He could draw every god-awful thing in the world and some out of it. Anyway, in this story, this woman drowned her husband, see? Put cement blocks on his feet and dropped him into her quarry. Only he came back. He was all rotted and black-green, and the fish had eaten away one of his eyes, and there was seaweed in his hair. He came back and killed her. And when I woke up in the middle of the night, I thought that would be leaning over me with claws, long claws. When Rita returned home, she still loved Lester. According to Lester, she still wanted to do what he told her. That was the wife's place, right? Women's lib only makes sick people. The most important thing in life is to know their place, their station in life. A wife should follow her husband. It's obvious Rita was depressed, suffering deep grief from losing two of her kids. And then she wanted another baby. Lester tells Harper, I told her it was a bad idea. Oh, not forever, but for a while. I told her it was a time for us to get over things and begin to enjoy each other. We never had a chance to do that before. If you wanted to go to a movie, you had to hassle around for a babysitter. You couldn't go into town to see the Mets unless her folks would take the kids because my mom wouldn't have anything to do with us. Denny was born too soon after we were married, see? She said Rita was just a tramp, a common little corner walker. Corner walker is what my mom always called them. Isn't that a sketch? She sat me down once and told me, diseases you can get if you went to a court to a prostitute. How your pride... Your penis has just a tiny little sore on it one day, and the next day it's rotting right off. She wouldn't even come to the wedding. 
Rita had an IUD, but still got pregnant. Lester figures she took it out herself. Her mood improved, and they had a son she named Andrew Lester Billings. Lester admits he wanted nothing to do with the kid at first. Rita screwed up, so it was her job to take care of the baby. He had been through a lot already. Eventually, Lester warmed up to Andy. Eventually, Lester realized that he loved Andy the most out of all of them. He had a good job by then, and they moved to Waterbury, away from the old place with too many closets. And things were good. He would ask Rita if she was worried, but she felt like God had drawn a ring around Andy. And then things began to change. Lester says, last year wasn't so good. Something about the house changed. I started keeping my boots in the hall because I didn't like to open the closet door anymore. I kept thinking, well, what if it's in there? All crouched down and ready to spring the second I opened the door. And I'd start thinking I could hear squishy noises, as if something black and green and wet was moving around in there, just a little. Rita asked me if I was working too hard, and I started to snap at her, just like the old days. I got sick to my stomach, leaving them alone to go to work, but I was glad to get out. God help me, I was glad to get out. I started to think, see, that it lost us for a while when we moved. It had to hunt around, slinking through the streets at night, and maybe creeping in the sewers, smelling for us. It took a year, but it found us. It's back. It wants Andy, and it wants me. I started to think, maybe if you think of a thing long enough and believe in it, it gets real. Maybe all the monsters we were scared of when we were kids, Frankenstein and Wolfman and Mummy, maybe they were real. Real enough to kill the kids that were supposed to have fallen into gravel pits or drowned in lakes or were just never found. Andy died in February. Rita had gone to visit her mother, who had been in a bad car accident, and it was just Andy and Lester in the house. Andy was sleeping in the room with Lester. He had been too afraid to put him in the room after, after what happened to Denny and Cheryl. But Lester moved him that night. He moved Andy because Lester knew it would go for Andy instead of Lester. Andy was weaker, and it did. He screamed that very night, the boogeyman. An hour later, there was an awful scream, and Lester figures that he did love Andy because he ran into the room, into the dark and he saw it. It was shaking him, shaking him just like a terrier shakes a piece of cloth, and I could see something with awful slumped shoulders and a scarecrow head, and I could smell something like a dead mouse and a pop bottle, and I heard, I heard it when Andy's neck broke. It made a sound like ice cracking when you're skating on a country pond in winter. And then Lester ran. He ran to an all-night diner and had six cups of coffee before he returned home. It was dawn when he called the police. Andy was on the floor. A tiny bit of blood had run out of his ear. The closet door was open a crack. And his session with Dr. Harper comes to an end. Lester refuses to schedule a new appointment. He just wanted to tell Harper a story. He had lied to the police and told the police he must have tried to get out of his crib, Andy. And the cops bought the story. But Rita? She knew. She finally knew. Harper suggests Lester make another appointment, and Lester finally agrees. He goes out to the desk to find the nurse gone, and when Lester returns to Harper's office to tell him so, the room is empty, but the closet, it's open. 
A voice from the closet speaks. The words sound like they might have come through a mouthful of rotted seaweed. Lester stood rooted to the spot as the closet door swung open. He dimly felt warmth at his crotch as he wet himself. So nice, the boogeyman said as it shambled out. It still held its Dr. Harper's mask in one rotted spade claw hand. This is a really haunting story. Anytime kids are involved in horror of any kind, it takes on a new level of terror. It's fascinating that King puts the main character, Lester Billings, in a shrink's office. But Lester has a story to tell, and one he needs to get off his chest. All three of his kids have died. They were murdered, despite their deaths being ruled accidental, or in case of Shrill, caused from a brain convulsion. And Cripp's death is Sid's, though... That's usually the diagnosis of babies when another cause of death can't be determined. It definitely sounds like with Lester's description of how Denny was found, there could have been something more there, but perhaps a head injury. Um, and with Sheryl, brain convulsions are essentially seizures. And seizures can be caused by head trauma, brain injuries, or choking. And then Andy. Lester witnessed him being shaken until his neck broke. Lester explains how things progressed from Denny to Andy, and it's really interesting to me because even while Lester's paranoia grows after Sheryl repeats the same thing as Denny, the boogeyman, Lester still doesn't seem to be scared enough to protect Sheryl. He insists on putting her in Denny's old room, despite his wife's protests. You know you can't be overprotective or you fuck up your kids. Just like he refused to try and ease Denny's distress in the dark, he didn't want his son to become a sissy. And it's after they die that Lester seems to admit he loved them. What a shame, you know? I love that boy, or I love that girl. Denny died in that room, and he had no qualms about putting Shirl in the same room. Though I guess he thinks he was a good dad, because at least he changed the mattress. After Shirl's death, it just was what it was. Kids weigh you down, right? Now they can go to the movies or a baseball game. They can enjoy each other. No need to find babysitters. Lester's looking at the bright side of his kids being dead, and he's so detached from their deaths. They were a burden to him, almost like Rita is a burden to him. He does not want to be a father, and that's very evident in how he talks about his family. His emotion comes from the fear of the boogeyman of the closets. After Rita becomes pregnant again, he's not thrilled. Let Rita deal with the kid. Sure, he warms up to Andy eventually. He's making good money now, and they can move to a nicer place. And yet, the boogeyman is still haunting Lester. Rita seems confident that Andy is okay because he's their miracle child. But then things start to happen again, things that leads Lester to believe that the boogeyman is still around, that it followed them to their new home. When Rita leaves one night and the boogeyman returns, Lester knows it. And Lester, being the great dad that he is, puts Andy in his bedroom because the boogeyman will go for Andy, not Lester. He's willing to sacrifice his kid to this monster. Yes, he runs in there after it's too late. And then he runs away. He goes to a diner before calling the police. They buy his story of Andy having an accident, but Rita, she finally knows. 
Lester implies that she knows the boogeyman is real, but that's not what Rita knows. Now, Dr. Harper is very patient in this story. He lets Lester tell his story beyond a few comments here and there, a couple that are quite snarky, which I enjoyed. And then Harper convinces Lester to make another appointment. He seems pretty calm about the fact that Lester is admitting that his kids were murdered. Sure, he says they were murdered by the boogeyman. So obviously, Lester is dealing with some trauma of his own, some of his own mental health issues. Lester agrees to this, to come back. But when he returns to Harper's office to tell him the nurse is gone, King really closes the story with the perfect ending, just as he has with every other ending in the book thus far. The boogeyman comes out of the closet, having worn Dr. Harper's face as a mask. So the question here is, was Lester telling the truth? Is the boogeyman real? It certainly seems that way, if you take this literal. The boogeyman had been haunting Lester all these years, killing his children, disguising himself as a shrink, and then finally coming after Lester. And I really think that's just, you know, this literal interpretation of the boogeyman. Lester is a piece of crap. He is a crappy husband, a crappy father. And I always felt like this was something else. This was not literal. It's when Lester admits that after Andy's death, Rita, she finally knew this was not an accident. Cheryl was not an accident. And Denny was not an accident. It was Lester. He killed their children and psychologically he couldn't deal with the grief or maybe just the blame of it and convinced himself that it was a boogeyman. He is the boogeyman. He admitted that he hit Denny if he didn't stop crying when he went to bed. He admitted that he got frustrated with his wife and Shrill when Shrill wouldn't stop crying. Kids, right? You could just kill him. Did he really grieve his kids? Others saying, like, what a shame. Rita grieved. She had to be sedated. And as a mother of three myself, I would need more than sedation to be able to deal with that kind of grief. Lester did not seem to care. Yes, the fear of the boogeyman continued to rise in him. And yes, there was a part of him that worried for Cheryl and Andy. But it really seemed as though he was more afraid of himself, for himself, of the boogeyman. The boogeyman had killed when Rita was home before, but not in the room. This time, the boogeyman waited until she was gone. It seemed like Lester's good fortune of having a better job and making better money shifted his disposition, at least for a while. He was buying Andy gifts, had warmed up to him, but that paranoia about the boogeyman was still there. Why wasn't Rita worried about it? It's Lester's worry that the monster inside of him would break free again and kill his son, as it did his first son and daughter. And of course, this is what happened. I always felt like the scariest monsters are the ones who are human, the ones in the next room or next door. And the boogeyman is just Lester's way of his mind coping with what he's done to all of his kids. And now Rita knows it too. Rita knows it was Lester. So it makes total sense that she would divorce him. And we know she did because it says so at the beginning of this story that Lester was divorced. It seems like Lester just got lucky with the causes of death that the doctors would miss signs of child abuse. Lester says he murdered his children and he's quite frank about it. Of course, he amends that to he let them die 
And in my eyes, that's his admitting that he allowed himself to kill them. That part of him, the part that may have loved his kids, had failed. It stepped back and the monster inside him took over. He put Andy in that room because he knew the boogeyman would get Andy and not Lester himself. He couldn't save Andy from himself. Now, it's the ending that really makes you think. The boogeyman coming out of Dr. Harper's office, his closet. Was that literal? Did it really happen? Or was that in Lester's mind, too? Getting this whole boogeyman stuff off his chest to a doctor. Then the boogeyman coming out of the closet wearing the doctor's mask. His face. Like he had been disguised as Harper this whole time. Or hell, maybe Harper is dead. Maybe Lester killed him too and he can blame it on the boogeyman. He told Harper the truth after all. Maybe the entire story is King wanting us to believe that Lester was the boogeyman until the very end when we see the boogeyman itself come out of the closet. So ta-da, Lester was telling the truth and the boogeyman is real. I really love the themes here. Imagination versus reality, especially with children and adults and how different that is. Is it truly the imagination of a child to see a boogeyman, to see a monster? Or perhaps that's reality for children, whereas adults simply cannot reconcile that monsters could be real. Believing in something so strongly could make it real, which includes monsters. There's also the theme of child neglect. What happens to your child when you put yourself first, when you ignore their fears or their needs? You have Lester thinking if he helps his child be, you know, overcome his fear of the dark by giving him something to comfort him, to give him a nightlight, he'll turn into a sissy. If he does anything to help Cheryl, um, if he keeps her out of Denny's old room, he's being overprotective. But then you read a little snippet about how Lester's mother was with him. And it sounds like he didn't get the kind of compassion and empathy he needed as a child. And look what that turned him into. I don't know. Maybe he was afraid of his kids turning into him. And he ended their life because they were doomed from the start. I just, I don't know. But I like that this story feels like it's open to multiple interpretations, especially the ending. But it's also such a king story. Lester is so familiar as one of his characters. The shitty father, the shitty husband, overcome with personal issues and mental instability. How often do we see this character in king novels? And don't get me wrong, he writes them really well. It's almost frightening. So I like this one a lot. And I like that we never really know for sure who or what the boogeyman is. But hey, if it's real, I sort of hope it got to Lester because I would never root for this man. I didn't feel any sympathy for him. If the boogeyman is real, I hope that he ate Lester alive. I really do. <laughs> any kind of story where kids are being harmed is really hard for me. So this was a tough story. It was a haunting story. I would probably give it a four out of five if I had to rate it. Maybe a three and a half but probably a four. That feels better to me. So I would love to hear what you guys thought of the story. I really think Night Shift thus far with the stories we've done so far has been very strong. These early pieces of King's writing have just been fantastic. And I'm really enjoying this reread of Night Shift and really, really looking into these stories a little bit deeper. 
So if you guys have a different interpretation of the boogeyman, I would love to hear it. Of course, you can email me at thecirclecloses at gmail.com or find me online at thecircleopens.com or on social media at thecircleopens. You guys know the drill. So I think that's it for this episode. Um, I would love to hear what you guys thought. And if you're enjoying the podcast, you can leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I have noticed um, some of you have already done that uh, in the past couple of weeks. So thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. And that's really all I have to say, you guys. It's February. I hope you're all staying safe and healthy. If you are living in Texas or any of the states that got really hit hard with the snow and you lost power, all of that stuff, please, please stay safe. I hope you're doing well. Um, I'm thinking of you guys. And that's it for this week, everyone. M-O-O-N. That spells. I'll see you next week.